Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. On today's broadcast, what's coming up at Aldi? A surprising store format that's ripe for success, perhaps. How farmers in the West are coping. What's your favorite food truck food? What labels really do make a difference? And a new ice cream that's designed for just 39% of Americans. Let's get started, Sally. Aldi, you know, is one of my favorite stores. I, I make no excuses for that. And it looks like, you know, Aldi's um, is gone on social media to talk about some of the new limited time products. They call them Aldi's finds that we're going to see this fall. Um, what are what are some of them? Well, pumpkin spice, you know, is always a huge hit <laughs> and everyone has that. So um, they, they do have a pumpkin cheesecake drizzled caramel corn which sounds really great. Um, they've got a pumpkin. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> pumpkin cheesecake drizzled caramel corn. You think that sounds great? It does to me. I really like the sound of that. It sounds very fall and. <laughs> yeah, but uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one, but I like pumpkin cheesecake. I like caramel corn, but put them together. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, how do you feel about pumpkin Chipotle pasta sauce. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. We have, I, I like pumpkin pie. I really like pumpkin pie. I like pumpkin ravioli. Mm -hmm. But I think we've gotten carried away with all the pumpkin spice stuff. Okay, okay. Well, they're, so they're not just doing pumpkins. They're, they're not sure. leaving out apples, which are a, a, a seasonal fruit. Um, they've got organic apple cinnamon coconut clusters. Uh, <laughs> and you know, we talked about, uh, last week we talked about the cereal candles. So I thought you might be interested to know that they are also promoting a cinnamon latte ca candle. I don't know. I, I just think that people's homes must really smell bad if you've <laughs> got to buy a cinnamon latte candle. I mean, but whatever, Let, let's keep on going. They also have uh, milk chocolate peanut butter cups that are supposed to be better than Reese's peanut butter cups because it has more filling inside of it. Um, the cups themselves are taller and skinnier. Um, also, what I really do like is uh, they have 30% of the ingredients in uh, this milk chocolate peanut butter cup are labeled as fair trade certified. Um, so it's the cocoa butter, the chocolate liqueur, and vanilla extract um, that has it. And, and then, um, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on on their website and on Twitter and on Facebook. And that's the way they're getting their messages out there. So you took a look at their Twitter, their Facebook. What did you find? I did because it's so interesting the way that Aldi and we've talked about it before, how they have such a social media subculture of shoppers. Um, there's the, we've previously talked about the Aldi Isle of Shame Facebook group yep. that is really popular. Um, but it was but what was interesting to me, and I think you know this is something for retailers and brands maybe to take a look at, is that. Um, their Twitter following is 107,000 people, but they only got 14 likes on their Aldi, Aldi Finds post. However, on Facebook, they have 
8 million followers, and they got 1,500 likes, 380 comments, and 144 shares. So what do you think, Phil? Are the, are the shoppers um, talking about the foods they want to buy on Facebook instead of Twitter? You know, I, I think so. And, and to your point, um, when we discussed this earlier, I think that Facebook, in this case, is a lot more personal than Twitter. Um, so people, you know, can talk about what they found, what they like, what they didn't like. And on Twitter, you know, it's just getting that message out there. Um, and also Facebook skews older. Um, and so what's interesting to me is Aldi um, doesn't necessarily skew older from an audience standpoint. They actually are millennials and, and Generation Z uh, love Aldi's. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And retailers should be looking at this and deciding how they can use social media to get the kind of buzz that Aldi gets. Yes, it's it's. It's a hard, it's hard to um, decode social media these days because it's constantly evolving. It feels like, um, and and like you were talking about, different age groups are in in different. Uh, on different platforms. Um, but I just thought that was so interesting that the Aldi fans are, are apparently on Facebook. Yeah, me too. Um, ah. New, York, New York Times, Kim uh, Severson, great reporter, um, has this story about salvage food stores. And I have very mixed feelings about this. Um, basically, what she writes is, a crushed box is never a problem. Package dates are mere suggestions and questions questionable marketing attempts. Um, and, you know, what What basically the salvage stores have is unsellables, uh, those products that a mainstream supermarket either can't sell, gets rid of. Um, what has me concerned, though, is um, I think it's a good deal, but you got to be smart. I mean, her headline is dented, dated, discontinued at the salvage grocery. It's called a deal. I would never, ever suggest to somebody to get a dented can. Um, I mean, that's where when you have that fold, that's where bacteria grows. That's where botulism grows. You know, you want to stay away from you know, damaged goods. And uh, I'll be honest with you, um, I have never been to a salvage store. I am going to go now uh, because of this story to one, but their sales are up substantially um, as food inflation has has risen. What do you think of, of this concept? Well, I'm with you, Phil. I, I can never get past what my mother taught me that if a can is dented, you might get food poisoning if you if you eat that food. She always talked about botulism. So it is hard for me. But I did I, I am interested in this and I have seen one of these chains, which is called Dickies, which is in the Asheville, North Carolina area. And you know, we have a family cabin that we go to in that area. And there is one that we drive by. And so I'm really curious to check it out because, you know, it is a shame to waste food. And there are a lot of people out there struggling to pay for food. And there are a lot of people that are, have become more conscious about wasting food. Um, there's a woman named Lynn Ziobro that started a website called Buy Salvage Food. Now, this is a nationwide map of where you can find salvage food stores. But what I also liked about this website is it, it the front page of the website gives a list of tips and guidance on, okay, 
this is okay to eat, this is not okay to eat. So if you are going to go and shop at a salvage food store, I think, you know, checking out those tips on buy salvage food, that that is a really good place to, to, to get some ideas on what you should stay away from and what's okay. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm with you as far as not wasting food, but food safety is still an issue. And again, you know, with so many people I hear all the time, oh, you know, just because it says expires, you know, December 30th doesn't mean it really expires. It, it's a marketing ploy. It's not a marketing ploy. Come on. You know, I mean, the dates are there for, for a reason, but, um, but great website find and uh, suggest that we all check it out. Now, um, another report that just came out from CNN Business finds that nearly three quarters of U.S. farmers say that this year's drought is hurting their harvest with significant crop income loss. And uh, the story just goes on that, you know, farmers are really in, in a major issue, major problem for this year's crops. Yes, well, I mean, you know, as we know that they depend very much on the Colorado River and those reservoirs, Lake Mead um, is one of them that we've seen a lot in the, in the news. And, um, you know, the, I think 37% of farmers said that they are plowing through and killing existing crops that won't reach maturity because of this drought. Um, that is up from, that was 24% last year. So we've gone from 24% to 37%. That's a big change. Big change. And also uh, what they go on to say is for cattle and beef, once the market processes the excess animals sent to slaughter and has a smaller breeding herd to operate, uh, price increases go up. And they're saying the price increase of beef is going to go six to 12 months. And, you know, as until we get climate control, if you would, uh, we're going to see these problems and we've got to get more indoor farms to be able to handle the excess. Yes. And I, you know, additionally, I was reading this morning about um, Yuma, Arizona and California's Imperial Valley, that those two places produce more than 90 percent of the country's winter leafy greens. So um, there are predictions that we may be looking at some shortages when it comes to lettuce and broccoli. Um, we're also looking at wheat shortages, um, which are high, are exported a lot to Italy for making pasta. So um, there's we're going to probably have to make some adjustments. Absolutely. And and we're just going to see more and more shortages. Um, just to give you some example, um, in the UK, there's a butter shortage because a chronic shortage of suitably qualified farm workers, mustard in France because of the extreme weather and drought that have crushed the mu mustard seed supply, uh, bread in Lebanon because of a lack of wheat, uh, exports from Ukraine, tea in Pakistan, uh, eggs in Australia. Um, oh, and, and also the winter weather um, means fewer eggs are being laid by free range chicken. So what, you know, those happy go lucky chickens that you're paying two, three, $4 more for a carton, they're going to have less of those. And soba noodles in Japan, um, are in a major shortage as well. Uh, but there's no 
shortage as it relates to food trucks. We're seeing food trucks continue to rise in importance. And a new study just came out um, that looked at 500 food trucks um, from Shane Company. Uh, they went to Google Trends to get this data. 500 food trucks and 1,500 plus menu items over the past year to find the most popular food truck order and cuisine by state and nationwide. Uh, here in California, the Al Pastor Tacos is the favorite. I've never seen that before in my life. In uh, New Jersey, where I come from, the Western Pork Roll, never seen that. Um, in New York, pork and chive dumplings. I've sort of seen that sometimes in your neck of the woods in Tennessee, roasted cauliflower tacos. Um, the list goes on and on. And I, I think we're getting carried away with some of these uh, food truck trends uh, being a little too upscale. Whatever happened to like a hot dog cart? <laughs> well, you make a good point. And when we look at when when we look at these um, these statistics on you know what the number one selling foods are, um, overall tacos sell better than anything nationwide uh, from food trucks is what we're reading. And what I think is so interesting is that based on your state's popular cuisine, let's say you're in Alaska and Alaska produces a lot of salmon, you know, they take a taco, put salmon on it. Here in Nashville, Tennessee, they'll put hot chicken on a taco because that's one of our big popular local cuisines. So, you know, these these food trucks are, are really fun, I think, for for people to get out and try all kinds of different street foods. And um, I don't know, do you think the supermarkets should be paying attention to those trends? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and again, uh, before we get to the supermarkets, when we look at tacos and food trucks, I think it's not because people really love tacos. I think that tacos are really easy to make in a food truck. You know, you, you've got uh, the tortilla, you've got whether it's chicken or pork or whatever else, you plop it on, you put on shredded lettuce. It's easy, it's quick to make, and that's one of the reasons, and it's high profit. Uh, but to your point of supermarkets, I think that supermarkets have long ignored some of the trends that we see coming out of food trucks, and it's to their detriment. I mean, a lot of supermarkets still, you know, are selling meatloaf in those black plastic plates in the prepared food section, and they need to be a little bit more adventurous. I agree, and it is it, it is a great it's a great thing to get out and try if you have food trucks in your neighborhood to check out some of these interesting cuisines. So there's a new uh, study out of YouGov. Um, that shows the difference in product labels between the U.S. and the U.K. Um, the data shows that keeping an eye on sugar levels is one of the top concerns of consumers in both countries. Um, Free-range labels, um, number one for Brits, 31%. More than one out of five Brits consider purchasing products that carry animal and environmentally friendly labels. Um, also, British consumers are much more concerned than we are about the sustainability and ethics of their grocers. Um, and one-fifth of Americans and Brits take into account whether their gross 
groceries are produced locally. Um, so we are paying attention to food labels. I'm just wondering um, whether or not we're going to continue to see that, even though, you know, number one in both countries is low sugar and no added sugar. Um, Americans still are consuming way too much sugar. So just having it on the label, just us looking at it is not translating to changing behaviors. Yes. And I wonder about that. You know, you know, we do have, we, we have very large numbers when it comes to diabetes and I believe that they do also in the UK. And so, yes. you know, it is important, important to be looking at the sugar. And I'm, I'm wondering, Phil, you know, is this, a, is there an opportunity for retail dietitians to get involved at their stores and to help consumers? Maybe they're reading the labels and they're looking for these products, but maybe they're not, they're confused. They don't know, you know, how to prepare uh, prepare these foods. I, I'm wondering where the disconnect there is if the if the interest is there already. I agree with you. You know, it just doesn't make sense. If we have the interest, we have people reading labels, but they're not changing behavior. So we're not giving them the reason uh, to change their behavior. And maybe it's you know the taste of of sugar. We love, you know, salt, sugar, and fat in this in this country. And until we have a new generation of taste buds, I think we're going to still have this problem. Yes, I agree with you on that. And, you know, another point that I saw in this story, in, the, in this study that I thought was really interesting, is that it said that fewer than one in five American shoppers consider sustainable production and sustainable fishing product labels. And, you know, I think we, I think maybe we've overestimated, and I hope this isn't controversial, but I think maybe we, we've overestimated um, how much our shoppers are interested in sustainability. Yes, um, I, I agree with you totally. It makes great headlines. You know, every survey, yeah, I care about the planet. I care about climate change. But when push comes to shove, you know, uh, and we look at what people are buying in the supermarket, looking at their shopping carts, we're just not seeing it happen there. So we got to get past all the PR. We got to get past on, you know, putting a gold star you know, on our chest for doing the right thing. We just need to do the right thing. So our partners at the CMA and SEMA hosted a webinar with Susie, featuring one of the SEMA CMA board members, Yelena Eidelchik, as they discussed expectations for the fall 2022 shopping that's just around the corner. Members of the CMA can access the full replay of the webinar in the resource library. Non-members can visit catman.global to contact the association about membership. Here's a little clip of what they said. Inflation is definitely real. We all know it. We all live it. And in fact, it's uh, the concern that shoppers uh, have to a significant extent. In fact, the uh, concern for inflation is three and a half times higher than that of COVID right now. And one in two shoppers are uncomfortable with their finances. So just think about that for a second. So we're navigating this in several ways. On the corporate level, the key is not just focusing on price, but naturally on value we bring to our consumers. So efficacy of our formulas, for example, like the one for Lysol, uh, being able to be in full supply for back to school for Lysol wipes and disinfecting sprays to ensure parents feel their kids are safe. Uh, new scents that, we, uh, uh, that might appeal to millennials, for example. 
new value sizes so that shoppers feel they're getting enough uh, for their buck and also do not have to drive to the store as frequently. In fact, this factor has been uh, really growing in importance in the last couple of months. And on the research side, we have realized that we need to constantly monitor shopper behavior and sentiment. So we have created monthly research uh, trackers to listen and track uh, specific shopper behaviors. This allows us to pivot and keep our internal and external teams informed. On today's Bullseye, it's all about ice cream. As of August 2021, 39% of Americans say that beer is their go-to drink. And Miller High Life wants to be their ice cream of choice. Yet, it does contain 5% alcohol. They're actually infusing the ice cream with, you got it, actual Miller High Life and peanut and caramel swirls. There's also a sprinkle of carbonated candy, reminds you of those Pop Rock days. And it's dipped in dark chocolate. Does this have your taste buds flowing yet? Well, before you get too excited, the flavor is called Dive Bar, not to be confused with Dove Bar. The peanut swirl is in honor of the quintessential Dive Bar snack, peanuts. There's a hint of tobacco smoke flavor, and the caramel swirl is intended to mimic that sticky Dive Bar floor. Ugh. The carbonated candy is there to mimic the fizziness of beer, and the dark chocolate topping is meant to evoke the dark wood and dim lighting ambiance of a dive bar. Now, I'll be truthful. I haven't tasted it. I have no idea about the nutritionals. If you want to give it a try, I'd love to have you come on to the Lemper Report and give us your taste test review. I am not going to taste this. You can find the Miller High Life Dive Bar at tipsyscoop.com. They're actually the manufacturer of it. Six bars for $36. So, Sally, what comments do we have today? Well, Phil, um, first of all, um, thank you, Jack Firestone. He says that he loves a limper report. <laughs> thank you, Jack. <laughs> yes, that's good to hear. Um, John Pandall says, on inside controlled environment at environment agriculture, egg supplies became more stable when chickens went inside, same for aquaculture. So now we rave over free range eggs and wild caught fish and wonder why supplies are more variable. Yeah, I mean, John, I, I agree with you totally. Um, whether it's aquaculture, whether it's chickens, um, whether it's leafy greens, um, we really need to take Europe's lead on indoor farming and indoor agriculture. Uh, there's no question that having a controlled environment is far better for us. And frankly, you know, from a food safety standpoint, when we're out in the fields and, and we hear these horrible stories all the time, um, where whether it's E. coli or salmonella contamination of leafy greens, um, we, we need to control our food supply better. We can grow faster, better, healthier, higher quality, and long-term cheaper. So, John, I'm with you a thousand percent. Yes, and then John had one other comment for you, Phil. Um, he says, American shopper equals the indifferent majority. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, the, the American shopper, um, and again, I, I try to visit, you know, probably about five to, to six supermarkets every week. I did more 
before the pandemic. Um, but I just look at how people are going through the store and it's it's with blinders on. And as we talked about last week, when I brought that uh, that couple and, and the family of four to a Ralph's uh, here in Los Angeles to help them reduce their shopping bill on Good Morning America, you know, what what I found is I cut their shopping bill in half. It, it used to be one hundred and sixty dollars a week, got it down to 80. Now, the, the downside of it was it took them 11 minutes longer to shop, but for 11 minutes to save 80 bucks. I would take that deal anytime. Um, and and we just need to wake up people, whether it's about labeling, uh, to your point, whether it's about sustainability, uh, whether it's about saving money, if we would just slow down a little bit and, and be more mindful of what we're buying in the supermarket, I think we all win from a health, taste, nutrition standpoint, and financial standpoint. So with that, um, Jack, John, thanks for joining us, um, as well as everybody else. Don't forget um, that our archives are on supermarketguru.com. Uh, make sure you check them out. Um, every day we post a different segment of the Lemper Report. So if you missed one segment, just go to the website and you, you can check it out again. Um, and we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Don't forget to sign up for the Supermarket Guru weekly newsletter as well. That's in the top right um, of the website. Have a great week.